You're listening to Season 5, Episode Number 7 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guests are Gene Daniels and Warwick Farah. They spend time reminding us of the fact that in the Islamic world, all Islam does not appear the same as it is practiced in local contexts. That's the topic of our conversation today. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. As you listen to the news today, as you read an article, uh, it doesn't take very long before even the, the mainstream media draws attention to something happening in a part of the world whereby uh, there is a Muslim majority. And obviously, the church, uh, for a long period of time, uh, has been talking about and seeking to engage the uh, Muslim world with the gospel. And in just uh, recent years, uh, several books on uh, reaching Muslims with the good news, serving among Muslims, planting churches among Muslims, uh, have been been rolling off the press. And so I want to draw your attention in this podcast today to a book that came out in 2018, and the title of the book is called Margins of Islam. Uh, The subtitle is Ministry in Diverse Muslim Context. I have the uh, editors of this book uh, with me today on the podcast, Gene Daniels and Warwick uh, Farah, and one of the things that I want you to be aware of before we jump into uh, this episode is that we live in a world whereby uh, the Muslim uh, uh, context is is really a mosaic. It's not a it's not a monolithic Islam that's out there. Um, the religion uh, has uh, it, its pillars, but it has radically different expressions throughout the world. And so, this particular resource that these brothers have put together in conjunction with numerous other practitioners and scholars really gives us some solid evidence of what we have known in the past, but oftentimes have seldom allowed to influence our actual mission practices. And so the book that we're going to be talking about today is going to be a book that challenges us to know our context and to allow the insights gained to shape contextualized strategies and methodologies. And so with that in mind, I want to welcome to Strike the Match today, Gene Daniels and Warwick Farah. Welcome, brothers. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be with you, J.D. And so, guys, we're making a a historic moment today on Strike the Match. This is a season five, so I'm now into uh, the fifth season, and uh, I have never had a a conversation with two people in two separate locations in the world uh, for one of these episodes. So, uh, so you you guys are making a momentous occasion here. Well, I I was. I'm very happy to help you two old guys figure out the technology, too. By the way. All right, brother. So, so let me let me begin because I know that um, there are many listeners that are familiar with your names and they're familiar with your work because uh, Gene Daniels, he's missiologist. He's got extensive uh, qualitative research in the Muslim world. He he served among Muslims in Central Asia for for over a decade. Uh, he's the author of numerous articles and books on mission. Warwick uh, Farah is. Uh, He's a missiologist. He's a theological educator in the Middle East with one collective. Uh, his publications may be found in periodicals such as the Evangelical uh, Missions Quarterly, the International Journal of Frontier Missiology, and uh, 
uh, global missiology. So I know there are listeners out there that are familiar with with you guys, uh, those of us that sort of hang in the academic world and, and some of those in the, the missions community. But for the most part, uh, I think I've, I've got listeners out there that may not be familiar with, uh, with who you guys are. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll, I'll let you go first, Gene. Well, uh, my family and I spent uh, about 12 years in Central Asia. Uh, my kids grew up there. It was a great time in our life uh, working with um, some of the Muslim people groups there in the former Soviet Union, church planting. Um, it, was a, it was a thrilling time to really get to know a particular part of the Muslim world really deeply. I did ethnographic research there. I taught in a college, did community development, several different things. Uh, but then we were expelled from that area. And uh, I got involved in mission research on a much wider scale with a couple different organizations. And so for the past 10 years, I've been involved in doing missiological research in several different parts of the Muslim world. And it's just been thrilling to both know one area really, really deeply, and then to have time to kind of see a, a broader stretch of how Islam expresses itself very differently in Africa or Central Asia or East Asia and so forth. Fantastic. And, and you know, I think that that, that research uh, background that you have clearly comes through in this book uh, with the different chapters with different scholars uh, drawing heavily upon, upon case studies. Uh, Warwick, let me jump to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been living in the Middle East since 2006, um, married uh, with three kids, and we're now living in our second country. The first country got to be far too dangerous for us to live in. And uh, actually, J.D., uh, you might not remember, but we chatted once maybe 10 years ago. We were using uh, one of your early church planning books as a as a book with our uh, with our church planning team that we had. And so, um, yeah, I, I, that was more than 10 years ago. So that was in one country. Then we went to uh, the second country, and this other country we're living in right now is also going through some unrest. So you get kind of used to that living in the in the Arab world, but it's nice to be uh, connected with the seminary because we have students from all over the region who come uh, to study, and and we're not training people for the academy or training people for ministry. And so, really, learning so many different Arabs and also non-Arabs, but using Arabic um, to just discover how many uh, different forms of Islam there are and how people's uh, experience of Islam is so drastically different. Um, I just get my own sort of um, laboratory for experiencing that, even in the classroom. And so um, so that's just a little bit about myself. And uh, I'm currently studying a PhD on disciple-making movements. And so, and so very, very interested to see how, you know, our conceptualization of Islam and of, and of the religious other and how we think about the church and social networks, how that leads to seeing churches planted and communities transformed in the, in the world. Gene, you um, have, the, the, obviously both of you guys are, are credited as the editors of the book, but, but Gene, I, I, if I understand correctly, uh, the original vision for this book uh, you know, was, you know, came from you. Um, a question that, that I have is, um, you know, why another book on ministry to Muslims? You know, in the introduction, I mentioned that there have been several that have rolled out of the presses uh, in the past few years, but, but why another book on this topic? Um, for the past several years, you're well aware that there's been um, a, lot of, um, a lot of interest in Islam, and in the missing community itself, there's been a lot of debate about Islam. And some of that's been really good. Uh, I think some of it's very profitable. But uh, 
along the way, I began to more and more feel that something really important was being uh, neglected. Uh, all this emphasis on Islam, uh, and usually on Islam as a singular entity that was easier for us to wrap our head around, talk about its doctrines, discussions about its essential nature, its spiritual realities, all these kinds of things, we're losing sight of that our calling is to reach Muslims with the gospel. And Muslims aren't Islam. They're uh, this hugely diverse subset of humanity that come from thousands of different ethno-linguistic groups spread across the world. And that diversity of context that we do our ministry in was somehow getting neglected and or completely forgotten in a lot of these discussions. So I wanted a book that would put the emphasis back on the importance of context and how does context shape what we do in ministry in the Muslim world. Yes, you know, um, that I mean, that just clearly stands out through this book. And for, for you listeners out there, uh, I read this book, I wrote an endorsement for, for this work, and, and it, it is. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air. It speaks to the reader and says, hey, um, not all... Muslims are the are the same and and here and here's the thing Gene that I think that is surprising to me and that is um you know often when when I teach missiology and when I was taught missiology uh, I had professors and I also do this uh we would use sort of an example we would say hey you know if um if someone was coming to the United States to uh bring their faith uh to share it with with Christians and all they did was study Christianity. When they got here, they would be in for a rude awakening because of all the variations mm-hmm. and different things. But for some reason, we don't think that way when we go into other parts of the world. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it's just because it's easier to think of Islam through the doctrinal or uh, textual grid of the Quran, the Hadith, yes. and to see it as a single thing that we're wrestling with rather than incredible, the bewildering complexity that actually exists in the Muslim world. Mm, very, very true. Warwick, you were uh, asked uh, by Gene to uh, to co-edit uh, this book. What what was your reaction when uh, when that invitation came? I remember right where we were. I don't say what country we were in, but we were sitting next <laughs> to each other on a bus, and we were both speaking at a conference, and he starts telling me this idea. And, I, and, and then he goes, I, I was wondering if you wanted to edit this with me, and I my jaw dropped. I was like, the Gene Daniels wants me to, <laughs> wants me to work with him. But it, it was great. You know, a, a lot of people um, read books. But on the about, cover of the book, it doesn't say the Gene Daniels. It just says Gene Daniels. <laughs> well, it doesn't need to say the, right? <laughs> the um, name speaks for itself. Right. You know, a lot of people read these books on, on reaching Muslims, and it's like, okay, here's Islam, therefore this is how you reach Muslims. And then they go to their context and they realize that the so-called Muslims uh, don't believe anything or act anything like what the so-called Islam was that they were told is supposed to dictate how they are supposed to live and love and uh, behave and et cetera. So uh, this book really, really challenges that understanding of Islam, that top-down approach. And we're really looking at Islam from the bottom up, from the from the lives of actual Muslims and saying, you know, Islam is a lived reality, is a lived experience for Muslims. So if, if that's the case, then what what does that mean for our missiology? You know, when I was living in Louisville, Kentucky, I remember being in a coffee shop one day and uh, meeting a, a Palestinian young man. 
and it actually began um, us meeting on a six-week, uh, once a week for six weeks, meeting there in that coffee shop to to study uh, the, the the New Testament, to study about the life of Jesus, uh, just through an encounter at the at the at the bar there in the coffee shop. And I found out very quickly that even though he said he was Muslim, uh, he did not act and look uh, and even think like what I had read about in the textbooks. Yeah. yeah. And, and and most of us have that experience, but we haven't translated that into how we write about and teach about Islam often enough. Mm. Yeah. I remember a student telling me one time he was working with Somalis and uh, and he and as and he's as he described uh, working with them, um, he he told me about just how much they had been, for example, uh, influenced by the uh, the U.S. hip hop culture, and how they were trying to invest in you know really cool cars with massive stereo systems and big gold chains and their dress and everything. And and when he was telling me this, I was thinking, that's not what I remember studying about in my comparative religion class. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the global hip hop Uma. There's actually, <laughs> there's actually a book. There's actually a book uh, by that title, I believe, or maybe it's a chapter. In wow. A book. Yeah. How about that? Wow. So, so Gene, there are um, several contributors to this book. Could could you give us just um, a little bit of an overview of the the three sections uh, of the book? Mm-hmm. So, as we conceptualize the book, the core of it is case studies done by. Uh, scholar practitioners who live and diff- live and do ministry in different contexts of the Muslim world. That was the core, um, but we knew that that by itself, it was like it would be like throwing someone in the deep water. So we had to we had to both lead into that by building a framework of why we're going through these case studies, and then also help process it at the end. So we ended up with a with three parts. The first one lays a foundation for why we should think about Islam through the lens of this diversity, rather than thinking about it from the monolithic uh, perspective. So that's section one. Section two is where we have 14 case studies uh, ranging in uh, from, I mean, just really all over the Muslim world, particularly though outside of the classic Arab context that most people think about, because a ton's been written about that already. So the case studies make the body up of the um, uh, book. And then the last section is uh, Warwick and I trying to help unpack, okay, now that you've got all these case studies, how do you think about them, and how do you learn from them? What does this mean for our missiology? The drawing in of the different contributors, was was that to to basically say, because Islam is is so diverse on the ground. We, we need people who are in those contexts that can speak from that personal experience. Was that the, the rationale behind this? Yeah, um, I debated a lot. I, I talked to a lot of other missiologists and writers I know about about the idea about how to structure it, and has several actually counseled me against doing this kind of thing with a lot of different writers because it's a really difficult way. I mean, it's hard to get that kind of stable of people. If you want high-quality people, they're all busy, so it's hard to get them to write for you. Um, but I felt like if we were really going to authentically talk about different contexts, they need to be people who knew what they were talking about. It couldn't be the two of us writing about from a distance about what it's like in Indonesia or what it's like in North Africa when we haven't worked there. We needed people that that's actually where they're grounded their ministry. And I think I think that was the only way to really get across that diversity was by letting those 
people in those diverse contexts speak into it. You know, I I have also um, uh, done editorial work before, and and you know, as you kind of alluded to, one of the challenges that that um, Gene, you and Warwick uh, have have overcome and done really well in overcoming is uh, the challenge of each of the chapters kind of being an island unto itself and there being no continuity. Uh, mm-hmm. However, in this book, there, there is a there is a very nice way whereby each chapter speaks as that specific case study, but at the same time, there there is a, a thread of continuity that does tend to pull these chapters together that, that was that was quite surprising, but surprising in a very good way. Yeah, that, that's nice of you to say, JD. Um, it, these these are written by practitioners, scholar practitioners, and they're taking a deep dive, um, writing with you know what they call a thick description of these contexts. And so th- there's no way that um, you know it could have couldn't have been done in any other way without it being multi-author. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, you know, as an editor, JD, it probably would have been uh, fat easier, maybe even less work for for Daniel and I to write all of these chapters ourselves. You know, it's it's a lot of work to try to um, get so many people uh, with so many busy schedules, with so many different drafts going back and forth. Very, very true. Warwick, let me ask you to to share a little bit about something in this book that um, that you raise. You coin a term. Uh, uh, quote adaptive missiology end quote. Uh, yeah. Can you can you explain what you mean by by that? The the main idea is that there is more than one way through a swamp, right? So adaptive missiology at its heart really uh, distinguishes between technical problems and adaptive challenges. Um, it comes out of a, a, a adaptive leadership theory. Um, technical problems are those that are kind of they're solved by experts, right? So you have a heart problem. Uh, so what do you do? You go to a surgeon. He's an expert. He operates on your heart. And historically, most of us have kind of tr- treated Muslim ministry like a technical problem. We just need the right expertise. We need the people who really know Islam. And then they're going to tell us how to solve this problem. But in contrast, we're dealing not with these technical problems, but with uh, seeing Islam and Muslim uh, communities as adaptive challenges. So it's it's not that we don't know the solutions; is that we are still unaware of the nature of the problem. You know that the the Muslim world is still one of, you know the largest um, group in the world where there's the most unreached people groups. And so, um, you know, adaptive missiology really what it does is it rejects the one size fits all solutions um, to reaching Muslims and calls people to adapt to the challenges in front of them. So we engage Muslims with curiosity and joy and love, and that missiologically speaking, we're, we're saying Islam is whatever my Muslim friend says it is, and I, I, I start from his or her understanding, and, and I engage uh, that Muslim in front of me, not some sort of abstraction called Islam. You know, one of the things that, that I think you're striking on here is is really uh, innovation and mission, and and I, I like that. That's that's so important. I just recently did uh, an interview with uh, with John Hurst, and we talked about that topic, innovation, uh, as it relates to um, you know, gospel advancement. And, and, and what you're saying with this adaptive missiology, or at least the way that I'm interpreting it, is we cannot go to the field with a canned approach but we have to recognize that there are things on the field that we may be the first people or one of just a few 
uh, to have experienced this situation or that situation, and there is no model to go to. There is no book to go to, and we're going to have to allow the Spirit and the Word to guide us in the context to figure things out. Yeah, what what I what I pick up on in in that chapter seventeen, adaptive missiology is is you know the looking at Orientalism at kind of modern approaches to uh, cultural anthropology and to religious studies, and and what we've done, we've kind of been operating on these old paradigms that actually incapacitate workers for ministry in their context because we remove that idea that they should be. They should be curious. They should want to learn uh, uh, with, from the Muslim sitting in front of them. And so we're, we're, we're changing that whole perspective, like we said earlier, from the top down to the bottom up. So, gentlemen, and I'll just throw this open to, to both of you. Um, obviously, every book has a particular audience in mind. So uh, from your, your vantage point, um, who, who's this, who is this book for? Um, you know, who, who's, the, who's the audience uh, to whom uh, this book is written? When, when I was first thinking about it, um, to be honest, I, I was thinking about myself. When I first went to the field, I knew very little except uh, some things about classic Islam that I'd read. And I, I went there with a hunger to understand what I was called to do, but with very little resources, even how to think about what that, the question, even how to articulate the questions I had. And I was thinking that kind of per, that person that went to the field, that's, I want to help that guy, that guy like me that wanted to learn what, wanted to understand what to even think about as he went out the ground in Central Asia. That's the kind of person I want to help. Um, Warwick, your thoughts on, on the audience? Well, I think you said it perfectly, actually, which is why we put your uh, endorsement on the back of the book. Um, you said <laughs> so. That's why your sales have been plummeting. <laughs> no. Now I know. It, you 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 wrote this. I'll just read it. You said a global journey revealing multiple expressions of the Islamic faith. We no longer have any excuse to train others to reach all Muslims in the same way. And and so th- this is people who who really want to engage Muslims with the gospel of Jesus and and um, you know in, in for a variety of different contexts. We feel this this book speaks to a lot of different audiences. So my guests today on uh, Strike the Match uh, are Gene Daniels and Warwick Farah. The book that we have been uh, talking about uh, extensively is uh, their latest publication titled Margins of Islam, Ministry in Diverse Muslim Contexts. I do hope that you get a copy of this uh, and use this uh, in in your understanding of, of Muslim ministry. Pastors, those of you that are out there that are listening to this and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not uh, serving as a church planter in a, in a particular Muslim context. You need to get a copy of this to be familiar with it, uh, I would say, for at least two reasons. One, uh, you need to be able to get this resource in the hands of members that are sent out from your congregations. But at the same time, uh, the truth is that uh, the Muslim uh, population, even in, if you're listening, for example, in a North American context where obviously I am living, uh, that context is diverse. And so the, this book will help you think about how you can do ministry and church planting even in your uh, your context as well. So I do hope that uh, you as a listener will get a chance to uh, take advantage of this resource. Excellent book that's out there. So, hey, brothers, if uh, people want to connect with you, um, online. How, how can they do so? You can connect with me at my blog. I, I blog at Circumpolar. The address is muslimministry.blogspot.com. Got it. Okay. Gene, how can they connect with you? 
probably the best way is to go to the William Carey website. That's missionbooks.org. And at the top banner, they have a authors tab. You can con- and there you can contact authors through that. And so you just put me in there, and um, think that'll put you in touch with me. Well, brothers, I certainly appreciate your your hard work, your your research, uh, and at the same time, you know, challenging us to think about uh, ministry in light of of, of a, a different uh, from a different angle. So, uh, you brothers, keep up the great work. It's been a delight having you on uh, the show today. Thank you Thank very you, much. JD. You have been listening to Strike the Match with JD. You can find JD on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.